This is the Homeschool Show from North Carolinians for Home Education. Our goal is to help you homeschool with confidence and joy. I'm your host, Matthew McDill. I want to welcome you to the show today, and I want to welcome into the studio once again uh, Rhonda Marshall, who will be our co-host. Hello. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah. Tell us what we're doing today. Well, today we have the homeschool news first off, um, and we're going to listen to an interview with Dan Beasley. He's an attorney for HSLDA, and he's going to talk about a case in which social workers got a court order to inspect a home based on an anonymous tip. That sounds scary. Mm -hmm. Next, we'll have the homeschool tip of the week. And this week, we're going to talk about you don't need to replicate school at home. And finally, we'll have our homeschool reality moment. And this is the segment where we take a look at what's going on in real homeschools in North Carolina, like yours. That's right. So starting with the news, uh, uh, Rhonda, her husband, Mike, and Dana, my wife and I, as well as uh, the Masons, couple, uh, another couple from our uh, the NCHE board, were able to go to the Homeschool Legal Defense Association uh, Leaders Conference. And this was uh, near Cincinnati this year. It was a great experience. And Dan Beasley, um, who used to be the North Carolina attorney, uh, representative for HSLDA, uh, was there. And we were able to sit down, and he was, gonna, he was uh, able to tell me this really uh, – kind of scary story yeah. about what happened and how they helped uh, this homeschool family. So let's take a look and see what Dan had to say. So Dan, uh, I heard recently about a story that you were helping a family in North Carolina. Can you tell me about that? Sure, yeah. So I got the opportunity to help a homeschooling family that encountered a hostile social worker. And uh, what happened is they actually got a, a note on the door. They were not home when the social worker came to their house to visit. And so they called the number, and the social worker explained that someone had made an allegation against their family of uh, an in, uninhabitable living conditions, or in other words, uh, or, or more specifically, that the house was roach infested, ah. and that the kids weren't in school. And uh, so they, you know, they knew this was not true, um, but they had some suspicion about who may have made the report. Uh, but they had had some, you know, someone who they'd had a little bit of a run-in with. Um, they think made the allegation. Of course, they don't know for certain. Yeah. Uh, but they knew it wasn't someone who'd who'd been in their house real recently, and they really weren't um, that interested in opening up their home and allowing a, a government official to walk through and do an inspection of their home. Right. Um, when they didn't they didn't see the need for that to happen. Um, now, that's a, often a question of evidence. If if the allegation that was made was more credible. Uh, you know, they would maybe want to consider working something out. In this case, everything that we knew about the allegation was that it was uh, anonymous. At least we had no information to know who who made the report. Uh, and what the social worker did is, is is basically they gave them a hard line in the sand. Either you cooperate and let us do our full investigation, or or we're going to court. Mm. And that's when we when we actually uh, found out about this case. A petition had already been filed in court, uh, requesting an order. Uh, compelling the family to cooperate and that order had actually already been issued ex parte meaning only one party was involved the family didn't have an opportunity to go huh. to court at all and so that was sort of the setting coming into to the office when we first heard about it and we were interested in learning some more details that's mm -hmm. when we dug in we found out the timeline and it, it just seemed like there was no uh, evidentiary basis for this report that had been made 
Uh, we looked at the documents that were filed in court, and the social worker uh, listed two sentences related to uh, the allegation and the condition of the home and the kids not being in school. But it was just it was just based on someone's allegation. No, okay. you know, no corroborating evidence. No, while well, we visited and we saw inside the house, and and not you know, right. no other evidence to support that just sort of naked allegation of, mm-hmm. of a roach-infested mm-hmm. house. So we talked with the family and. Um, we were able to arrange to have some local counsel in North Dakota, North uh, North Carolina. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I almost said North Dakota. We're here at the conference, and I'm I'm talking with uh, leaders from many different states. But um, we had some local counsel who agreed to represent the family at the hearing, and they showed up, and we worked um, uh, back and forth. I did with them to prepare some uh, legal legal materials to prote- prepare them for the hearing, and they showed up at the hearing and uh, made the argument that these social workers are subject to the Fourth Amendment. If they're going to come into someone's home without consent, uh, they need to have uh, evidence. They need to have probable cause. Right. Mm-hmm. Now the posture here again was actually a hearing on whether that order that had that was previously issued should have been issued or really should be continued. The interesting part of the case is that the social worker didn't actually come out to enforce the okay, order so prior to yet. the hearing. They hadn't been out to enforce okay. the order. That would have been a little bit different situation. Now why they did that, I, I'm not sure. Whether they knew uh, you know, just not sure. Yeah. But we had the opportunity to go to the hearing before the order that was previously issued had actually been enforced. And um, thankfully, something that happened back in the history of HSLDA, back in the early uh, 2000s, there was a case in North Carolina that involved the search of the home, involved a homeschooling family, and involved allegations uh, of, of neglect. And we represented the family in that case, took it all the way to the Supreme Court of North Carolina mm-hmm. and won. All right, so if you're going to overcome uh, a parent's refusal to cooperate, and North Carolina has a particular provision that allows uh-huh. social workers to file a, a motion in court to get, uh, to compel the family to cooperate. It's called an obstruction, uh, obstruction to the investigation. Uh, our argument, consistent with the reasoning in the, the case in the early 2000s, which is called the Stumbo case, was that as part of that case, not only was that case dismissed because it was a one-time event, it wasn't a pattern of neglect, uh, but the court ruled that, well, these investigations are subject to the, the Fourth Amendment. You've got you've to actually have evidence. And so drawing on our experience in that case mm-hmm. um, kind of prepared us to make the argument in this case again, and we used that case okay. to say, look, you've, you've got to meet this evidentiary standard if you're going to come into the home. In this case, if there was more evidence, put... You know, we need to hear the evidence, but just based on the allegations that were made, solely allegations from a un- unknown source, that's not probable cause. That's okay. not sufficient cause, at least, to, to mm-hmm. enter the home over a parent's objection. That was the core element of our case. And at the hearing, the judge, uh, you know, asked, heard our legal argument, uh, uh, asked the, um, the state to, to respond, and they didn't have much of a, a response to that. That argument that well you got to have evidence because they didn't they didn't know the identity of the person now they wouldn't have to necessarily disclose the identity that's something that they can keep confidential but it would be relevant to whether they even knew right. who the person was internally and whether there was any supporting evidence mm-hmm. that this allegation even could be true or is mm-hmm. it just something that's made up uh, one thing that was helpful too that the family did is had a had um, a pest uh, company um, pest inspector. Ah. Uh, come in and walk through the house and say, actually, there are no services that we would provide here. There's no infestation. Yeah. There's nothing. You know, there's nothing here to provide. And uh, we also had some documentation mm-hmm. verifying the family's legal compliance in North Carolina. 
And so we presented that evidence largely to uh, help the court understand that, look, this, isn't a, this is not a question of you know, necessarily what's happening. It's the legal standard. Are they, are they subject yep. to this evidentiary standard or not? So we said this shouldn't be necessary. And the judge actually ruled uh, that it wasn't necessary for us to present that, but that the, the order should not be continued. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the, the case essentially was dismissed because the order was, no, was not continued. So it was a cool opportunity that we had to draw on our experience right. in creating some case law in North Carolina in the early 2000s to help stand up for the Fourth Amendment here and the, you know, the, the basic uh, legal standard that you got to have some evidence if you're going right. to overcome a parent's um, you know, uh, decision not to allow a government official into their home. So. so what kind of basic advice do you have for families in North Carolina, for example, if they get a request for a visit from social services or something, what's the appropriate response from parents? Well, the, the first thing that I always recommend is, is finding out what the what it's about. You know, what are the allegations here? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, if they're a member of HSLDA, I encourage the family to contact us, and we can help give them you know more specific guidance based on the situation at hand. Uh, because not every allegation is the same. Some allegations uh, are are more credible on their face, depending on what's said. You know, uh, allegations that include specificity, as allegations that are from a known party, especially someone who has regular contact. And, but, but when it's an anonymous tip by, you know, a neighbor or somebody who got who has a grudge against the family, you know that that's relevant, yeah. and you're in a stronger uh, position legally. But in general, I'd say get in, get advice or uh, get information, get information, find out what's what's going on, get the caseworker to tell you what the situation is, and then get get some advice. Uh, so do they so. have to make an appointment? I mean, can somebody just show up at your door, and all of a sudden you don't have time for get, to get more information or call HSLDA or something? Well, people can just show up at your door. I mean, you can't stop a social worker, for example, from coming to your house. Now, you don't have right, to consent right. to allow them in, but oftentimes they're going to show up if they get an allegation, yeah. and they're not going to necessarily call you in advance. Um, if you're a member of HSLDA, we're on call 24-7, so you can call us at, at any time. You would be able to get us on the phone. Um, you know, while someone's at your at your door, and we can help you kind of assess, uh, you know, what the allegation right. is and, and what your response ought to be. Okay. So. And so you sh you can ask, and they should be they would have to inform you. I'm here because this allegation has been made against you. Or. Yeah, I mean, they have they have to give tell you the nature. Well, even even for the state to receive federal funding, uh, they're required as a as a as a condition to get receiving that funding that they provide training on the Fourth Amendment and, and, and actually inform the individual of the allegations, the okay. nature of the allegations that are made against them. So they should, they should you know, it's, sometimes that, that doesn't happen, um, you know, some, but, but, but you in, in general you should inquire and they, you can expect you them expect to tell that. you at least the nature of the allegations. Otherwise, how can you, you know, how can you respond? Right. How can you yeah. make a decision that's best for your family when you don't even know what this is about? Right. Um, I mean, I do recommend, in general, allowing the caseworker to see, uh, to see your children, not interview them, but just to see that they're healthy. You know that they're not yeah. locked in a closet or something. Um, but but really, uh, get get information, and then get advice. Get give us a call, and, and we'll help you kind of assess Great. Um, the situation. Go for it. Thanks for the update. And yeah. Thanks for serving in North Carolina. Glad to do work. it. That was Dan Beasley, attorney with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and we are so grateful for the work that they do to defend homeschooling all across the nation. And you can go to hslda.org to learn more about uh, what they do, and you can become a member, as Dan mentioned, 
uh, if you're a member of HSLDA, then you will imme- you will be able to have immediate counsel from them and um, immediate defense uh, if if you ever need it. So uh, just recommend that you check that out. Yeah, hopefully you don't need it, but right. good insurance to have. Next, we have our homeschool tip of the week. And this week, our tip is you don't have to replicate school at home. Matthew, did you go to public or private or what did you? I was you a went public to school, school right? kid. I did. <laughs> I did go to school. Okay. Can't tell, <laughs> and uh, and I was a public school kid. You were. What about you? I was a public school girl too. So, yeah. did you, as a homeschool mom, did you, were you tempted to carry over things from Absolutely. public school? Absolutely. Can I tell you a yeah. story? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here's my story. I like had little desk and I had a flag and we said because that's what I knew that was in my head of what school looks like. Nothing wrong with any of those. I wasn't quite as bad as um, my or as good as my pledge though. Were you about to say that? Did the pledge? We did the pledge. Yeah, and everything. The whole thing, like just like what you would think about in elementary school. And then a friend of mine though, she took it a little farther. She. would load up her kids in their minivan. Then they would go around the block. Then they would get out. And then they were at school. Oh, this is a bus ride? So this is a bus ride. (laughs) So, yeah. So you don't have to do that. If it makes you happy or your kids, you want to do it for fun for one time, by all means do it. But you don't (laughs) have to do that. Just an FYI. But there's some other things that we don't have to do and replicate at at home. And, And the thing is, it's so common, especially for us, uh, our generation and even a lot of others who are choosing to homeschool now who were public schooled. And that's their reference. That's all so we have in our heads. it's just normal to understand that, of course, you're going to start trying to transfer those things. So let's talk about what are, what are some of the things that people normally transfer and how do we process whether we should or not should or in not. certain. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing that's really key is that you don't have to keep everybody at one level. Often, all of us have strengths and weaknesses. So maybe you have a kid that needs remediated, so you can move them down a grade level in something they're struggling with. And just in one subject, And maybe. just in one subject. Yeah. And then move up if there's um, they have strengths, just yeah. like we all do. And then you can move them up in the one area that they have a strength in. Um, another thing is we are not locked into the curriculum or the scope and sequence of the school. We don't have to do that. We don't even have to follow their calendar. We have to follow our homeschool law of nine calendar months of the year with regular vacations. But that could look like four weeks on and two weeks off or mm-hmm. however we want to make it work you know, for And that's family. a good point for us to point, up, point out about North Carolina, uh, North Carolina law that a lot of people don't understand because when they start homeschooling, they think, okay, but what are the, what are the requirements of the state of North Carolina for my homeschool curriculum or credits? And the answer is there aren't any. Right. And so it's really important for homeschool parents to realize that you are completely in charge of designing or choosing the credits and courses that you right. give the kids. The whole school, scope yeah. and sequence and getting ready for high school too, yeah. Um, some other things that I think that are really important for us to talk about is a lot of us, I thought, oh, I have to have a schoolroom. When we first started homeschooling, we had a tiny little house. So I didn't have a schoolroom. We had milk crates and I put them, the books in the milk crates and put them, I didn't even have a bookshelf. But now you look on Pinterest. Homeschool family without bookshelves? No bookshelves (laughs) the first year. 
But then um, if you look online now as a new homeschooler, you think you have to have this <laughs> intricate room that you see on Pinterest yeah. you know, with all the things on the walls and perfect little designer. desks. Yes, designer <laughs> homeschool rooms. That's what we have nowadays. So I, we just have to know that we don't have to do that. If, yeah. if it makes you happy and it helps in your organization, by all means, have at it. But you don't have to do that to homeschool well. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think that's really important to talk about is hours. Mm -hmm. We don't have to spend as many hours homeschooling because the one-on-one tutorial method is much more efficient, efficient. right? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have to spend, um, you know, just school during school hours. Yeah, that's right. We can wrap it around our family, whatever works best for our family. And a lot of people still try to do things in the morning. And I think that's effective, but you just don't have to. You You don't don't. have to start at a certain time. You don't have to end at a certain time. I think those are really good flexibilities. And I think it's important to think about, too, that your kids, some kids are more naturally um, awake, (laughs) especially if you have teenagers. Maybe they do better academically later in the day Mm -hmm. because teenagers need more sleep. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Some other things that I think that we could talk about, too, is just realize that learning can take place outside of books. Mm -hmm. So there's field trips you can go on. You can go to the park. You can go Mm -hmm. have nature study that, unfortunately, most public schools can't do those kinds of things. So homeschooling is uniquely um, a place where you can make your school what you want it to be for your family in a way that um, they don't have the freedom to in schools. And... And with that location type uh, flexibility, I think desks are helpful, but they're not necessary. I mean, right. you can curl up on the couch and read, or a lot of times, you know, the couch is the, my kid's favorite place to do almost everything. And um, maybe up in your room if you need some quiet, or I mean, you can move around and do different different things. You don't have to be like, here's the schoolroom, here's the desk next to the flag. You have to sit in this desk. Don't forget the bus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's so important because school can take place anywhere. And we even went outside um, and put a blanket on the ground and had school out there. You know, it's just nice that you don't have to. And (laughs) honestly, some of my boys actually did better not at a desk because they were so fidgety and wiggly that when we would read, it was really better for them to be on the couch and with Legos or something Mm -hmm. that they could manipulate to keep them from (laughs) driving us all crazy. You know, that reminds (laughs) me of an interview I did with Andrew Pudua um, a year ago or so. And uh, it's on our YouTube channel. You can go watch it. And it's about the learning differences between boys and girls. And you can hear him talk about a lot of the the research that's been done and how boys need to move. To, I mean, that was to the learn. research. Yes. Yeah. And so my uh, Dana, my wife realized very quickly that she could not tr- spend all her energy making them be still because they were spending all their energy being still. Yes. And not, and, and able not to listening, think. but yes. if they can wander around and move and move around or sit weird, all of a sudden they're, their brains are open to That's exactly <laughs> to true. But if you have been, if you're trying to replicate school at home, yeah. like I you're was, not gonna see my that. poor son who's in first grade, he, I should actually pay for counseling for him. <laughs> he was, I wanted him to sit at the desk with his feet on the floor, 
I mean, <laughs> it's a miracle floor, yeah. that I homeschooled for 26 <laughs> years. But somehow along the way, I learned that I don't have to be what the school is and that my boy didn't have to sit there perfectly yeah. still. Because <laughs> like you said, Dana said, he, they're concentrating yeah. totally on being still. Exactly. So one other quick story on that, since we hit that little nugget, uh, my mom, even though I wasn't homeschooled, she brought me home half a day every week for what she called wisdom class. So she was like getting close to homeschool, you know? Wow. And um, she would take me to the park to a little pond and she would teach me scripture memory, but she would give me a verse and then she would let me run around the whole pond. And then she'd give me another verse and I'd run around. Yeah. The whole, so she knew automatically. She's like, let him run because he's not going to sit still. That <laughs> she is was awesome. Smart. Yeah. She was, yeah, she was, she was ahead of her time and yeah. didn't know it. Wow. I'm impressed. We should, somebody should definitely try that. Yeah. So I just had one other thought and then we'll see if you have anything to wrap it up with. And that is something I've told my um, high school kids that I've learned from my own productivity. And that is I don't have to do six different things little tasks or subjects every day mm. it could be history day you know yeah and when you kind of batch things together there's a little you get momentum in that subject so i don't make my kids do well you have to do all five subjects every day for five days and just the flexibility of this could be math day this could be well math's better maybe broken up but this could be history day or this could be science day and let them work on it as long as they want to I think that's a great idea. And plus giving them the autonomy to be independent yeah. learners and, and do their schedule. That's right. I think that's a great idea. Any last thoughts on this? I I just think get out there and make your homeschool what the Lord wants it to be. And he'll give you yeah. direction and everything you need to do it well. And as you said um, on our last conversation last week about the uniqueness of children. Yes. I think... This is another time to be really tuned into what do my kids need? Yeah. And how, what are their learning styles and how can I set this up so that right. it works best? And are they naturally organized <clears throat> or naturally right. unstructured? And if you can work within that, that I think that's a good way to do it. All right, good. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our homeschool reality moment. And this is the segment when we take a look at your homeschool and find out what's going on in homeschools in North Carolina. And today we have a video from Melanie, who shares a great idea for keeping communication open with your kids. Let's take a look. Hi, I'm Melanie, and I am a homeschool mom, and I teach six of my children. So, we, being a large family, sometimes struggle with the best ways to communicate. And we have many remedies for that. But today I want to share with you one of the ways that I use just to communicate one-on-one -on -one with each of my children. And so what we do, because I know sometimes growing up is hard and finding that trust level and being able to communicate with your parents openly, um, what we've done is each child has a notebook, um, and now that we're many years in, several notebooks, <laughs> that we actually write letters back and forth to each other. And this way, they can communicate with me and I can communicate with them. Some days it's something simple, like this is the dream I had last night, or what do you think about me doing this? And sometimes we get really in-depth and we talk about some really great things but it's just a place that they learn to share with me. And we do it almost every day. So it's not just a whenever they feel like it type thing. 
And what I've really found that works great with that is not only the communication between us, but that I get to use it to look over and help them with their grammar or their spelling or any other composition issues that they may be having. And they tend to glean a little bit more from that information than if they were writing a paper for history or English because they actually care about what they've written to me a little bit more on most occasions. And so this is just something that we use and I hope it would be something that you could find useful in your homeschool family. I hope you have a blessed day. That was Melanie, and wasn't that a great idea? Yeah, it is. It's an awesome idea. Before. I haven't either. I had a teacher in high school that used to do that, one of my Neat. English teachers. But Actually, I did have uh, this little season where me and one of my daughters wrote a note to each other every day. So Aww. maybe we got close Almost, to that. That's pretty close. I need to revive that. The, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> so we would love to see what's going on in your homeschool also. If you would like to submit a video to the homeschool reality moment, you can send it to um, the homeschool show at nche.com. That's our email address. And if you'll just be sure and share with us an idea that you have or a story um, that would be helpful, and be sure and you um, be sure and, and record that horizontally uh, with your phone, and that will work much better on on the show. So. Um, we are so glad that you're able to join us today, and we want to give you the opportunity to ask us questions. Um, if there's a topic you'd love for us to talk about, or if you have a question you want us to answer, we'll do our best to find out that answer and to give it to you. And again, uh, that same email address, the homeschool show at nche.com. Just send your questions or any feedback, ideas that you have. We'd love to hear from you. And we do want to ask you if you'll please share this with your friends, with your family, with anybody that you uh, think would really enjoy it. We would love for them to be able to uh, enjoy it also and um, participate. You can go to the website of this show at nche.com slash the homeschool show. And on there, you can see all the videos are lined out um, there, and you can go to YouTube and subscribe to uh, our channel. You can also uh, subscribe to um, the podcast version on Podbean, and we're working on making sure that it's also on all the other podcast channels so that you can subscribe to them there. So we hope to see you next time, and until we do, uh, continue to homeschool with confidence and joy. <laughs>